You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Support for Rootbound comes from plants like you. That's Y-E-W. You, the common ornamental evergreen. You, not Y-O-U. You get it? Thanks to you. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve. And right here at the top of the show, I want to talk about the concepts of evergreen versus deciduous. Later, when I talk to the guest, you'll see that uh, one of the plants we talk about today is an evergreen and the other one is deciduous. And that got me thinking about those topics. And, you know, I remember the basics and I think we probably all do like what those two words mean. Evergreen is pretty clear. That's a tree that stays green all the time. And then deciduous, those are the trees that lose their leaves in the winter. But the first thing I thought about is like, wait, what is the root of that word deciduous? Evergreen is clear. Green forever. Uh, But deciduous is not as clear, so I had to look it up, and it turns out the etymology is based off of a Latin word, desidere. Perhaps it's pronounced desidere. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it is a Latin word that means to fall down or to fall off. So something that is deciduous is something that has that... uh, characteristic of falling off or down. So that makes sense. Um, I thought that was cool. And then the other thing I was thinking about with these two concepts is why is there a difference? Why is there these two kinds of things? And, you know, I think uh, there probably have been lots of academic work about this, and I'm probably only scratching the surface here. I, I know I'm only scratching the surface here, but what I was able to look up and kind of understand and uh, and absorb for myself is that it is essentially a it's it's essentially two different strategies of resource management essentially that that, that trees have developed um so deciduous trees you know they decide in the winter hey there's um there's not really a lot of chance to do photosynthesis one the days are shorter two it's kind of too cold for this process to take place um and so instead of having my leaves just sitting out there evaporating water all winter and losing water let's just drop them and we'll, we'll just uh, absorb the energy and the, the minerals back from them, drop them, and then we'll make new ones in the, in the spring and start photosynthesizing again. And then evergreens, it's a little bit different. Their strategy is like, hey, let's develop these specialized leaves that don't evaporate a lot of water. And because they're small and normally waxy, they don't evaporate a lot of water. And that means I can keep them all winter, even when I'm not photosynthesizing because it's too cold. But as soon as the sun starts, you know, warms up and, and I can start photosynthesizing, I don't have to waste that energy creating new leaves. So that that's kind of the just different strategies that were developed and evolved over time for managing that process. But, it, you know, it seems that evergreens seem to be a bit more successful in the colder climates. That strategy seems to work out pretty well for them. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. I could probably go down a rabbit hole on these two concepts even further. It was really interesting to learn. But we'll just leave it there for today and continue on with our guest. Why is spring the favorite season for deciduous trees? Because they are so relieved. Hey, Owen, how's it going? Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Do you have a plant to share with us? Of course, I have a plant to share with you. Great. 
What is I it? am going. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about a plant that you don't really see everywhere, but I'm from Ireland and you see it uh, everywhere there. My parents, they came to visit me um, for Easter. I don't live in Ireland anymore. Um, And they were remarking about how open the fields were in Switzerland. Everything green, everything expansive. And they said that you wouldn't see that in Ireland. And, you know, Ireland has its 40 shades of green. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, this island is full of hedgerows and ditches and sections and, and shrubs and, and hedges. And what I'd like to talk today about uh, talk about today is a shrub called gorse. Gorse? Gorse. G-O-R-S-E. A horse with a oh. G. Oh, okay. A, have a you heard gorse of is a gorse. No, I have not heard of gorse. Well, a gorse is a gorse, of course. <laughs> of course. I'm excited to learn about gorse. All I'm right. going to need all the descriptions because I have no basis of it. Maybe I, right. I mean, I've been to Ireland. Maybe I have seen it, but not paid attention. You, there's a good chance you've seen it. If you left Dublin, if you left any, you know, if you went into any part of rural Ireland, you would have seen it. It's it's everywhere. Okay. It's a sort of a thorny evergreen. Um, mm-hmm. it's it has yellow flowers, mm. and it's actually part of the pea family. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is it is it like a a shrub or is it a vine or what? What it's is it a called? shrub, so it you know it, it forms hedgerows and uh, it's quite prickly. It grows. You see it a lot around cliff edges and uh, beaches. You also see it in in uh, 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 farms because apparently the the prickly thorns of the gorse um, are good for keeping animals at bay because they don't like the prickles. Ah, okay. So farmers like gorse. However, gorse makes the headlines every so often <laughs> because it's quite flammable. Oh, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, you'll hear a lot about gorse fires, and wow. these are like the Irish equivalent of you know a, a an Icelandic volcano, where, where oh. there's you know smoke on on uh, you know nearby the airport. I don't think it's ever actually closed an airport, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you know, put the emergency services uh, to the test a good few times, even quite recently. You know, it's um, all year round. You have gorse um, and all year it's it's uh, it's in bloom. Interesting. So uh, beyond it being, you know, from the country you're from, is there any other reason why you chose gorse as a plant? Is something meaningful to you? To you? Because it's something I, I was actually reading recently about it or I actually came up in something randomly because it's you know it's in bloom as it is always in bloom but there was a comment that uh, apparently it smells like coconut but not everybody can smell that smell it's some sort of genetic uh, factor and about 25% of people can't smell gorse and I don't know because I never (laughs) paid that much attention to it when it was everywhere Uh uh-huh and now I'm sort of stranded here wanting to know, can I smell gorse or can't I? <laughs> so that got me just, you know, sent me down the rabbit hole recently. Um, yeah, I'm not from the countryside. So, uh-huh. uh, but it's something that, yeah, it's sort of like the type of thing, you know, you don't, you know, you don't miss it till it's gone or you don't know mm-hmm. what you've got till it's gone. And Indeed. Uh, Do you have any memories of like being around it, like going out to the country as a kid and like, Having your parents say like, "Don't get scraped on that stuff," or you know, I don't know, how does that like fit in your your like memory of growing Not up? Not quite. It was just something that was always there. Uh-huh. You know, my my grandmother's house, 
She lived in a house with um, quite a large garden and yeah, it was just surrounded by gorse everywhere. Very interesting. Uh, Let's talk about that name gorse. Do you know anything about the name? Well, gorse is only one of the names. Mm -hmm. It's also known as the furs or the whin. Okay. Uh, Furs and then it's kind of... There's a park near 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 my parents' home, and it's there's a place called the Furry Glen. And uh. while researching gorse, I realized it's it's not furry for any other reason. It's furry because of the the furs, or of uh, because of the gorse that are there. Interesting. Or were there at some point? I'm I'm googling it now so I can get yeah. a better sense of it. And yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. It it looks. It looks, you know, when you said evergreen, uh, I was still imagining it having like a broader leaves, but it has more like, like piney needle kind of mm-hmm. leaves. But but those are the sharp bits as well, right? The needles yeah. themselves are kind of sharp. Yep, prickles. Interesting, so to speak. And, yeah. and so I guess the furs that comes from like, you know, fir trees are also look similar. Do you think that's a similar name? Like why it's called first or is there some other reason? Possibly, but I, then again, are the, are the furs related to the peas? No, which, which that, I mean, when you said it's related to pea, it's really, really interesting because it doesn't look like, you know, uh, most evergreens that I think about, but I don't know that much about them. I'm going to have to look into that. And then when, oh, I see furs is spelled F-U-R-Z-E. Yeah. Interesting. And then, and then when is that, do you know anything about that name? I don't. Okay. I know. Yeah. I know it has gorse, and I remember we we did some poetry in school a long time ago, and there was poems about the whin. So I guess it, it certain dialects. Do you remember any of those poems? There was one called "A Christmas Childhood" by Patrick Kavanagh. That's a long time ago. I yeah, don't I don't remember memorized. the poem. I do <laughs> I'll, not. I'll, I'll, I'll I did at one point. A, yeah, I was wondering if it's one of those things, you know. Every now and then there's something that sticks in your brain when you're a kid. Like, uh, I can still, well, probably not fully, but I used to be able to recite the Jabberwock, you know, from from Alice in Wonderland. And I still can get certain lines of that out. Um, so I was curious like that. There's, yeah, it's weird what those things stick in your brain for so long, you know. Mm. No, I, I ejected as much poetry from my brain as, as I could. <laughs> Once I left school, I didn't have to do literature anymore, so... So, so going back to the smell thing, that's really interesting. That that it, yeah. That they, I wonder what the like the science behind that about why certain people can smell it and other people it just smells like nothing. Is that the? Is I, that what, I believe so. Yeah. Interesting. Like, uh, I wonder what other things out there are like that of of that that have only have smells for certain people. It reminds me a little bit of the cilantro thing that some people mm-hmm. taste taste soap yeah. when they taste cilantro and and whether that's genetic think, or something else um but yeah very interesting i think there's a similar thing with cucumbers oh and i didn't i'm not quite sure i read that somewhere and of course there's asparagus and it's, and it's uh, excretion <laughs> that's true i i definitely have that one um i never ate asparagus for years i only discovered it recently enough so ah interesting well, you're in the right place for good asparagus. Europe is, is really good. Um, yeah, do you have any other fun facts about gorse? Well, it's always in bloom, and they do say that uh, kissing your lover is only permitted when the gorse is in bloom. So, because it's always in bloom, you can, you know, <laughs> that's, it's, that's it's found its foot in in folklore and and literature, and and given its flammability, also it was used a lot for fuel. So 
for for kilns and sort of cottage industry in does the, uh, i guess it gets it gets like re like the the wood gets like not too big but reasonably enough that you can like use it it's not it's not like a, a small shrub it can get like decently woody it, it can grow up to a couple of meters high you know, okay. but it still stays it's not like a tree trunk mm-hmm. but yeah the whole thing can be hard and apparently once it's burnt like post gorse fire um they're quite resilient and they'll come back again Interesting. Yeah, so there's no getting rid of those. So consequently, it is considered to be quite an invasive species. Although it's it's uh, quite prominent, I believe, also in Spain and in the UK. Interesting. And is it is it native to Ireland? It is. Yeah. So I'm so I believe. That's interesting. I wonder if if its flammability is it like extra resinous or or something like that, or does it just dry easily? Or there's some quite volatile molecules that it it, it creates terpenoids. Or terpenes, or isoprenes. Maybe they're isoprenes. I, I don't remember. Interesting. So yeah, it, it produces a lot of like flammable stuff. Really, really interesting. Yeah, maybe we have the renewable fuel of the future on our doorsteps. Gorse fires are smoking, but primroses burn, and celandines, and white may, and gorse flowers. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Please do, Steve. Um, so, yeah, interestingly, I think we both chose plants that are really common that people don't notice. Um, and th- this is a plant that's all over this part of the country that I live in, um, in Virginia, but also all over just the eastern uh, United States. Um, and it's got quite a, a, a fun name. It is called Virginia Creeper, which is not an insult that you call someone from Virginia, but it's what the name of the plant is. Um, and it's called Virginia Creeper because it uh, creeps along the ground or creeps up walls. It's actually quite a climber. Um, it is it is in the the grape family, which is the Vitaceae family. Um, but its Latin name is Parthenocissus quinquefolia. And so I, I brought a little example, which the audience can't see, but just to give you an example, this is the leaf of the Virginia Creeper, and it's kinkifolia because the leaves have five leaflets it's a compound leaf made of five leaflets uh and then these grow uh they grow along the ground but they will climb up anything they can find um and they're you know they're they're in the the they kind of i think serve the same niche in the landscape as ivy does in europe but it's it's over here uh, unlike ivy though they are uh, deciduous so the leaves fall off in the winter and they do turn a really beautiful red color okay. in the in the fall, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've I've been like interested in this plant since we bought this house, and I saw it growing. And I've been using that app. I, I we were texting about that. I talked about in episode three, and I that's when I first learned about it. I was like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Oh, it's Virginia creeper." And um, yeah, I think it's a really cool plant. And 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 so now the way I'm thinking about it is. We do also have a lot of ivy in our yard, which ivy here is highly invasive and grows like crazy, um, but doesn't really have the same like ecological purpose. You know, there's not as many animals that will eat it as they do the Virginia creeper. So my long-term goal is to try to discourage the ivy and encourage the Virginia creeper in in their yard. So that's kind of an ongoing project for me. Um, but the more I've looked into it, it's like a really interesting plant. Um, when When... Ivy climbs, and I talked about this in an episode 
I forget how many episodes ago I talked about ivy. When ivy climbs, its little rootlets try to get inside crevices and and actually like grow like the the the, root, the rootlets at first will grow away from the light because it tries to dig in and then it expands. And so ivy can actually be quite damaging to structures, particularly mm-hmm. like older wooden structure or, or wooden or stone structures. But Virginia creeper is a, is a bit nicer. And it actually climbs in two different ways. It uses tendrils like a grape where it sends out a little, you know, tendril and loops around something and then pulls itself up. But it also produces little sticky pads. So those roots that turn into tendrils, sometimes when they when they are no longer pulling themselves up, they will they will form a little sticky pad at the base. Um, I actually did uh, pull out an interesting quote about that uh, from a... The American entomologist in 1870, there was an article uh, about the leafs as workers and what leafs do besides just being food for, for bugs, because it was an uh, article about, about bugs. Um, but it says, uh, but it can climb where a grape cannot, up the side of a brick or stone walls or bark of a tree or siding of a house. Uh, this it does by expanding the tips of the tendrils, covering them with a sticky substance, a natural prepared glue. This is held patiently in place until the glue hardens when the tendrils uh, make a double twist and hug the vine closer to the wall. So they, they stick to the wall, and when the glue s- dries, then they start twisting again to pull themselves closer, which is pretty cool. And I just I read that literally li- this morning, and I had to go out and look at it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really clear what's happening. You see these little like like Spider-Man fingers stuck to the wall, and then there's like multiple twists in the little thing to like bring it closer. So I'll, I'll post some pictures of that on the... Cool. Uh, Instagram one there, but I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. Um, going back to the Latin name, Parthenocissus kinkifolia, we said kinkifolia is because it has five leaves. Parthenocissus means Parthino or Parthenos means virgin in Greek, and Sissus means ivy. And the reason why it's called virgin ivy is is a little bit unclear. It's one of two reasons. One, there is a thing in in biology called parthenogenesis which is reproduction without pollination uh, or without you know like without a male and female just virgin. a female exactly a virgin virgin birth um but i couldn't find any like where written that this genus parthenogenesis does that and i was trying to find someone describing that so there's another theory is that they just called the the genus parthenogenesis because it was the first one identified was the Virginia creeper. And so it's called Virginia, which is based off of virgin. And so they called the whole thing Parthenocissus virgin ivy after Virginia. So not necessarily the state. Yeah. Back, back, you know, back when this stuff was founded, this whole area was Virginia, right? All, mm-hmm. everything was Virginia. So, um, so I'm not sure, like may, maybe it can undergo parthenogenesis, but I couldn't find anyone writing about that. But the whole genus is called Parthenocissus. So, uh, yeah, I, I like those little mysteries of names. And, you know, I could maybe dig deeper. But it's, it's you know, it's surprising. It's always surprising to me, like, what obvious questions about plants are not easy to find when you dig a little bit below just what Google gives you. Like, Google will give you the same answers over and over again. But then you're like, wait, what, why? And it, and it, it gets unclear very fast. So the, the berries of the Virginia creeper are toxic to mammals, but not to birds. And they're toxic because they are high in uh, oxalic acid. 
So that is a you know that is a, actually a theme in the podcast. A lot of stuff that's toxic is toxic because of oxalic acid. And I was wondering why oxalic acid is toxic to humans but not to birds because birds eat tons of oxalic acid berries. Um, same thing, ivy is a similar one. And I, apparently, it's just the the way that that bird kidneys function is entirely different from the way human kidneys function. And so they can eat it no problem. And it doesn't cause any kind of like kidney stone situation. So that's, that's interesting. Um, something related to the oxalic acid is there's a, a concept I just learned about called raphides, which are calcium oxalate crystals that can form in these very sharp shapes. And that is one, another way that plants that are toxic work because those sharp uh, crystals can cut, you know, the mouth or the skin of things. And so the berries of these, uh, um, uh, of Virginia creeper are apparently full of, uh, these little raphides, uh, crystals, which I thought was, which was interesting. And also, you know, I know you're a chemist, so I thought I would try to throw in some chemistry facts. So calcium oxalate. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, on a similar, on a, another reason actually why, actually I think when I first got interested in Virginia creeper, because I was reading about its high levels of oxalic acid or, or calcium oxalate and a very common treatment for varroa mite, which is a major pest to honeybees is to, um, use oxalic acid, uh, to basically, um, you sublimate it in the hive and it can kill the mites, but it doesn't kill the bees. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, I was like, well, I wonder if I can, like, if I stuck a bunch of squashed berries in the hive, <laughs> would that do anything? Probably not. But I, I like had this, I was like, Oh, I've heard that before oxalic acid in the honeybee context, but this, this plant is really high in it. And there's lots of other ones that are really high in it too. Rhubarb leaves are high in oxalic acid as well. So, um, and I think the last little bit I thought was fun is that there was at one time a train called the Virginia Creeper, which was named after the plant, but also after its slow movement up the mountains in Virginia. And uh, and I found a little quote from a book um, about the Virginia Creeper that I thought was fun. It said, the creeper's whistle, known for its chilling, eerie quality, sounded for the last time in 1977 and the tracks were removed that year. I can't describe it, Greer remembered. It was a whistle that we got so used to. When it all quit, we really missed it. So the the, the train named after the plant is no more, but there is apparently now a trail called the Virginia Creeper Trail, not named for having so much Virginia Creeper, which it probably does, but named after the train that used to go there. So they turned the path of the train into a, a hiking trail. So yeah, that's that's uh, Virginia Creeper. Any anything? Pretty any cool. questions about Virginia Creeper? Anything you want to know? I'm just trying to get my head around a decision. Like I, you know, it, it has analogs to. Or it's analogous enough to to ivy. So I'm just thinking of a deciduous ivy and imagining it. It, it loses its leaves and then comes back where it was. It leaves this network of of sprawl behind it. Yeah, yeah. It leaves like you know these bare you know woody uh, vines in place. And then it, it sprouts back. And so, you know, in some ways, it, you know, it's a different look in the winter on, on a building that's covered with Virginia creeper mm. versus ivy, but it's still a cool look. You know, you still have these cool, like, it's a little bit when you see like a grape vine, actually. Grapes are similar, right? They're just, they're yeah. a deciduous vine. Um, and Virginia creeper is in the grape family where ivy is not. Ivy is, I, well, maybe, maybe that's not true. Ivy might be in that same family. It's a big family. People talk about family and botany a lot. 
and it's families are huge. It's the genus, which is a little bit smaller, but, uh, so maybe I'm not sure if it's in the grape, if Ivy's in the grape family or not, but anyway, yeah, the deciduous quality of it is interesting. And one, one thing that's really nice when I first saw it the first year is that that brilliant red is one of the reddest leaves in this area. Like we don't get as red as up far up in Maine with a lot of trees here, but the Virginia creeper is like brilliantly fire red, which I'll, I'll probably post a picture of that too. I think I have a good one from a few falls ago. And flowers? The flowers, you know, I haven't observed the flowers that much, but I think they're really small. So they don't, they don't really, they're not super showy. I might be wrong about that. Uh, So apologies, audience. It's not, it's not, it's one of its main qualities, the flowers, I would say. Um, But the berries are these little kind of like purpley berries um, that kind of sit um, there and they, they look, they look pretty, but you know, not edible. So yeah, that's Virginia creeper. Thank you for telling me about Virginia Creeper, Steve. So you're welcome. Next next time I'm in Ireland, I'm going to look out for Gorse. And if you come visit us again, I'll show you all of our Virginia Creeper. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Chug along, chug along like the old Virginia Creeper. Down among the mountain laurel, I'm going to meet you. Baby, stoke my fire so we can make it home tonight. This song is called... New Virginia Creeper by Old Crow Medicine Show. It's one of at least a few songs about the Virginia Creeper, the train, not the plane. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Owen Quinlan. Owen is a chemist living in Liechtenstein. He would also like you to know the correct spelling of Owen, which is E-O-I-N. Rootbound is hosted by me, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Krikiskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But if you can go outside, perhaps go for a stroll. But just be aware of gorse fires. Thanks to you.